We're going to think today about Spirit-filled committee. Uh, in my 21 years of ordained ministry, I couldn't tell you how many sermons I've preached on the subject of committee. When I was in Moy and Ben Burb, I would have done uh, twice as many because of two committees, and I'm not sure many sermons you have heard. So it's always a challenge to do it in a wee bit differently. And today I want to particularly think of what it means to be filled with the Spirit. It's one of the marks of those first seven men who were chosen to be the first committee, that they were filled with the Spirit. So particularly, that's going to be our focus here today. But let's just, first of all, look a wee bit at the scene. And the first thing we see is the, the grumbling that arose there in verse 1. It says, In those days, disciples were increasing in number, so it was going well. But a complaint by the Hellenists rose against the Hebrews, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And this appears to be something very serious. It wasn't just necessarily a, a passing comment, but it was a, a real crisis that could have ripped the whole fellowship apart. And we were looking at the book of Acts different ways that Satan had been seeking to attack the church. Persecution, how indeed that they were being told not to preach the message of Jesus, even putting them to death. That's one tactic. Compromise, Ananias and Sapphira were led astray to be selfish and harming the church that way. And now the danger of division and distraction comes in here. John Calvin, the great reformer, I came across this, I think it's a very challenging quote. And I think for all of us, every single one of us need to take this to heart. He speaks about grumbling on this passage. He says, when we hear that there arose grumbling among the apostles, let us not be surprised if we encounter many stumbling blocks within God's church today. There's a lot of wickedness, and there are many who are inclined to rebellion and want everything to be governed according to their insights. The very ones who have less understanding, less judgment and experience, and who are the most presumptuous, are the ones who want to rule and direct everybody as they see fit, and yet they go around creating conflicts. They will say, why is such and such not done this way? Why can we not do it thus and so? To make a long story short, God would have to make them a world of their own. If you put a dozen of such clever people together, they will claw one another's eyes out and still presume to govern everybody. Now, I would really like for such governors to know what true Christianity is, namely, that we interact with our neighbors in such a way that we show honor to the other people as Paul instructs. That means that we think more highly of others than ourselves. That's challenging. For all of us, it is very, very easy to grumble. And within the church of Jesus Christ, it's a common problem and it's a very, very dangerous thing in what it can do. We saw it in Miriam's day, and we'll see how God wasn't slow to act there. We can see it in the day of the apostles here. We can Calvin obviously saw it in his day, and it'll be true today. Let's remember, we have an enemy, and that enemy is seeking to divide and destroy. So let's be very careful about this. So we have the grumbling that arose. But then secondly, we have the priority of the word and prayer in verses 2 to 4. 
We see there that the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint as duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. Now, that just reminds us of the priority of the Word and prayer throughout the book of Acts. In chapter 1, when Jesus was ascending up into heaven, He told them to wait in Jerusalem for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And what did they do in chapter 1 as they waited? They devoted themselves to praying. In chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost came and the Spirit came in power, what did Peter do? He preaches the Word. He preaches the gospel to that great crowd assembled in Jerusalem. And then when they're new believers, what did they do when they come together? They devoted themselves to the Word and prayer, the end of chapter 2. Chapter 3, after the healing of the beggar at the gate beautiful at the temple, Peter preaches the gospel to those who gather. In chapter 4, when Peter and John are arrested, they refuse to stop preaching the Word of God and the message by Jesus. And the end of chapter 4, the believers unite in prayer and pray for strength and courage to keep witnessing despite this opposition. In chapter 5, the apostles are arrested and then wonderfully delivered by the Lord, and they go back to the temple. And what do they do? They preach the Word again. And that brings us up to chapter 6. And here, in this dispute arose about the food being distributed to different widows. The apostles are very clear. They're not going to be distracted from what their primary calling is, the ministry of the Word and prayer. And here we see that the, the role of the church committee is to look after the practical matters so that the, the minister and the elders and other folk who are particularly involved in spiritual work can focus and concentrate on that spiritual work. And the crucial thing in this is that decisions were taken here and decisions are to be taken there that will help the advance of the Word of God, that would help the spread of the Word of God. That's one of the most crucial things in the life of the church is as the Word of God enters people's hearts and lives, they're brought to salvation, and then they grow and develop and are equipped to serve the church and to be a witness for Jesus Christ. And so, any decisions taken has to be taken at what will best advance the Word of God, what would help the Word of God get out and get out to more people, what will help the Word of God to get deeper within the hearts and lives of our people. Now, when we think of the practical aspect of the committee, it doesn't mean that the committee doesn't have a spiritual aspect ever to its work or that committee members are not to be spiritual people. And in fact, we see the very opposite here. They do have to be spiritual. So this brings us to our third point, which is our main point today, which is the importance of the Spirit in those who are chosen. I have a quote here from uh, T.S. Mooney. I don't know if you remember or know the name T.S. Mooney. He was a man who was a, an elder in the Presbyterian Church up in Londonderry, he lived well into his 70s. He never married and was greatly used by God. And this is what he said to Alistair Begg when Alistair Begg asked him why he never got married. He says, what was desirable was not attainable. What was attainable was not 
desirable. It is better to want and to not have than to have and not want. And if you're single, do uh, keep that in your mind and in your heart. And if you're someone who is married and pities those who are single, well, maybe they're in a better position than the person you're married to. So let's be careful about that, uh, indeed. But Alistair Begg uses that quote when looking at Acts chapter 6 about those who are involved in the church. And it's the same as getting married. It's not just a matter of grabbing whoever you can get and whoever will say yes. When it comes to marriage or to service in the church, it has to be the right person. The right people are needed, not just anyone who would fill the gap. Now, you take this, what this task was that these people were going to do in the early church. It was distributing food to widows. So, you could argue, surely anybody could do that. Anyone could do that task. Just Let's have the first seven volunteers put their hand up to do this task and go and do it. That is not the way these men of God who were leading the church looked at it, and we must learn from them. Look there at verse 3. He says, Pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom. And then of verse 5, about one of them, Stephen, they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Now, why is it important that these people doing this mainly practical task had to be spiritual men? Why did they have to be men filled with the Spirit? Why do those who serve within our committee or those who serve in any responsibility within our church? Why do they need to be spiritual men or spiritual women? Well, the leaders of the church were leading the church in a spiritual direction. And if others involved in church service and decision-making were not spiritual, not living their lives in line with the Holy Spirit, that would be a hindrance for the church continuing to go in a spiritual direction. Either it would be like a, a church advancing. If you ever see those uh, weight lifter or those world's strongest man competitions, and you see someone who is pulling something, maybe even like a wee lorry or something behind him, and he's got this, wrapped, this strap wrapped around him, and he's pulling this great load behind him. If we have people who are unspiritual, out of step with the Holy Spirit, it can be like that weight, holding the church back, holding the leaders back in the direction that God is calling them to come. And the danger is then it can also create tension between those who are being led by the Spirit and really wanting to go on with what God is calling them to do, and those who are not spiritual in their outlook. And this is why it was so important 
that for these seven men, they had to be spiritual. They had to be singing from the same hymn sheet. They had to be going in the same direction. And that is why it needs to be true today that those who would be in the committee and those who are involved in any responsibility in the church, they need to be spiritual. Those going in the direction that God is leading them. Jeffrey Wilson, on his commentary on Acts, says this. He says, To be filled with the Spirit thus involves our submission to the control of the Spirit in every aspect of our lives. This is not an optional extra for the keen Christian, but a demand which is binding upon all believers. It means we must avoid grieving or quenching the Spirit, and that we're always sensitive to His promptings. It's so important that we are in step with the Spirit. How do we, a people from many different backgrounds, a people with many different interests, a people with many different attitudes in life, how do we be a united people going in the same direction? The Word and the Spirit, both being real and alive in our hearts. That's the key to it. That's the secret to it. And that is why those who are involved in this need to be spiritual. It's also important for the witness of our church. If you have someone who's involved in the life of the church and they're very unspiritual, they can so quickly harm the witness of a church. I I can think of someone a number of years ago, and I think it was actually at a funeral, and there was a a gentleman in a vehicle, I think waiting to go into the funeral, and somebody in the church spotted this gentleman flicking his cigarette out of his window onto the, the ground. And the person from the church went over and reprimanded him and told him to pick up his cigarette. Now, was that person being spiritual? They didn't know what the the background of that person was. They, They didn't know if that person ever had a contact with church before. And if his first contact with the church is someone just reprimanding him, That's not very spiritual, is it? That's not seeking to accomplish what God wants to achieve. That's why it's so important for every single one of us who are members of this church, every single one of us, because the witness of this church, the honor of Jesus Christ is at stake in how we live. It's so important that we are in step with what God wants us to be and to do. Now, being filled with the Spirit will produce i put down five characteristics here, and uh, we'll look at these quite quickly. First of all, it will mean a person immersed in the Word of God. In John 16, Jesus says, when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. It's not just that He will, the Spirit will guide you into a little bit of truth that makes you happy. No, He'll take you into all the truth. A spiritual person it has an appetite to study God's Word for themselves. They have an appetite to listen under the teaching of God's Word. They have a passion to go on with the Word of God. 
And maybe we're thinking, ah, oh, but William, the Bible's hard work. The Bible, it's tough to understand. But the wonderful truth is that a person who's filled with the Spirit has the author of this book living within them to guide and direct them. That's why in 1 Corinthians 2, it says, Paul says, the natural person, that's a person who doesn't have the Spirit, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they're folly to him, and he's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. These truths take a spiritual mindset. But the spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And what Paul was doing there, he was having a real attack at the philosophy of Greek culture, the great wisdom of the philosophers, and saying, listen, you little simple Christian person who have never studied philosophy, you little simple Christian person who doesn't have much education, you're in a far better position than that fine philosopher out there because you have the Spirit of God living within you who will help you to understand His truth. Immersed in the Word. Secondly, focused on Christ. In John 16, Jesus says, of the Spirit, He will glorify me, for He'll take what is mine and declare it to you. So, the Spirit's work, the Spirit's focus is to declare Jesus to His people. I have a, a colleague in the ministry who a number of years ago, he went to a church. He was the first evangelical, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> in this church that he went to. And he faced a lot of opposition. And you know what? One of the complaints were made about this colleague of mine. He keeps talking about Jesus. What a complaint. And if people talk to you about that, what an honor to people would see that. That was the complaint. He kept talking about Jesus. And it's crucial. A person who has the Spirit of God will be drawn to Jesus, be drawn closer to Jesus, this is so important because Jesus is our greatest need. And being focused on Jesus, having Him as the center of thinking, will protect us from so many of the, the sins of selfishness and, and the sins of distraction that can come into our lives. Focused on Jesus, we see what is most important. Thirdly, the spiritual person will be faithful in prayer, or I could say full of faith in prayer. In Romans 8, Paul says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes with us with groanings too deep for words." It is the Spirit of God, Paul teaches, that enables us to pray with confidence to God as our Father. That's a particularly Christian thing, speaking of God as your Father. It's the Spirit that causes and enables that and helps us and guides us when we don't know what to pray for. A person filled with the Spirit will be 
a prayerful person. It doesn't mean we find praying easy. It doesn't mean that we don't have to work at it. But one of the marks of a person who's spiritual, full of the Spirit, is they're a praying person. Fourthly, they will be fruitful in holiness. Galatians 5, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. A person who has this agape love, this unconditional love to others. Joy. Not just that they're a happy, smiley person, but they're a person who has joy in the Lord and in the gospel and salvation. They have peace. They have a peace with God. They have a peace in their hearts, which then moves to a peace with others. They have patience. They don't fly off the handle. They don't lose the head. They keep being patient. They have kindness. They seek to act in a way that is kind towards others. They have goodness. Their life is filled with doing what is good, what is for the better of other people. They have faithfulness. They, they keep at it. They keep going on. They don't give up. They have gentleness. There's a, a tenderness. There's a meekness like Moses. And there's self-control. They're disciplined. God is helping them to be more and more disciplined. Uh, they're not the perfect article, but they're, by God's grace, are being shaped by that, the fruit of the Spirit. And then, fifthly, they're empowered to serve. In 1 Corinthians 12, in speaking about the gifts of the Spirit, Paul says this, Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now, what Paul is saying there, every Christian has been given gifts and abilities and areas of service by God. Christian, you can't sit back and say, there's nothing that I can do? What rubbish. God says you're gifted in certain ways to serve Him. Now, Christians, you need to think about what is the way that God has gifted you? What can you do? You're empowered to serve, and there are certain gifts which over time are gifts which would develop and mature and grow. Those of us who had preached from a pulpit, that's not where we started. Those of us who preach, we, most of us probably started in a Sunday school class or in a youth fellowship small group or something like that, and their gifts develop and grow over time. So, you see the five marks of a spiritual person immersed in the Word, someone who really is committed to sitting under the Word of God, faithful at church at Bible study, focused on Christ, a gospel person, faithful in prayer, someone who prays for themselves but will be at the prayer meeting, fruitful in holiness, the fruit of the Spirit is real in their life, empowered to serve, a person given gifts and abilities by God. We need to pray for each of those things to be more and more real 
in our lives. These aren't just qualities for a few people in the church. These are the qualities that the Spirit of God produces in every believer, or should be producing in every believer. We need to be praying that we are continue to be filled with the Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. It basically means continue to be filled with the Spirit, praying that the Spirit would continue to dominate our lives so that the Word, Christ, prayer, holiness, and abilities would become more and more real in us. We need to be those people. Look back on your life. Look at how you have served the Lord. You know, whatever age you are, and I don't care what age you are here, you can do more to serve the Lord in the rest of your life than what you've done already. You think of this, the parable of the vineyard workers and the one that was called at the 11th hour. He got the same pay. And I love the way Lloyd-Jones speaks about that and says, listen, when we're filled with the Spirit of God, what we can do in one hour will be more than a whole day without the Spirit of God. So take time to go over the list. Take time to pray about this. Keep in mind these qualities. And look for those in the committee who are filled with the Spirit of God. Let's pray together. Father, oh, there's so much of our, our flesh which just recoils against even what we've been thinking about today. There, Father, the old man, the old woman within us, Father, still wants to hold on. And Father, we realize it's only in the power of Jesus, in the power of your Spirit, that the new man, the new woman that Jesus calls us to be can blossom and flourish by your grace. Oh, Father, grant that we would be those who are people of your Word, your food for us, Lord, your food to make us grow and mature and develop, that we would be people who are focused on Christ, that the more we see Him, we'll become like Him. That we will be people of prayer. And Father, where we have neglected this, forgive us privately and together with God's people. That we're people of holiness, the fruit of the Spirit, that love, joy, peace continues to grow and develop in us. And that we will be empowered to serve. Oh, Father, we thank You that there are no redundancies in the kingdom of God. There's nobody paid off with no work to do. We all have a task to do. Help us humbly and by the grace of your Spirit, just, Father, to be led and directed into your will and your ways. And, Father, as we would indeed vote for a new committee, protect us, Father, from being guided by wrong motivations. Father, may we look for those truly who are full of the Spirit and full of wisdom 
For such grace we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.